The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. closest professions we have to real-life superheroes are astronauts who selflessly put their lives on the line to work simultaneously with other nations to advance mankind's understanding of the universe and the role we play in the vast and endless ecosystem of space. These semi-gloss heroes that Dom Magazine covers in the grocery checkout with their spacesuits in hues of red, white, and blue, smiling back at you with their straight, chiclet grins. You look at these photos and you know, they're the best at what they do. The brightest we have, right? Why must man go into space? Why must he attempt this new and forbidding environment? Space with its belts of radiation, meteorites, solar winds, unknown cosmic forces. To explore his world, man has always risked the unknown. Because it is unknown, and man's nature is to know. Training for space travel is no easy task, and it begins when hopeful astronauts are put through a series of endurance tests in order to determine if they're physically able to withstand the rigors of blasting through the Earth's atmosphere at speeds upwards of 17,600 miles per hour. Candidates go through two years of training in order to qualify, manning such a spacecraft. This training includes technical training for opening the controls and rendering repairs to the craft, as well as physical training, all designed to simulate conditions in space. Many candidates will not be able to complete this physically and mentally taxing program, and even those who do successfully complete the program may never have the opportunity to go into space themselves. 
In addition to specialized training, NASA requires potential candidates to have the aptitude necessary to endure the high stakes and high stress that accompanies the honor of becoming an astronaut. In order to meet NASA's high standards, before they are even allowed to enter into the candidate pool, potential astronauts must be licensed pilots who've racked up at least 1,000 flight hours, have at least three years' experience in their professional career, must also at least have a bachelor's degree in a related STEM field. Those who can meet the educational and professional prerequisites and successfully complete the specialized training are then hand-selected by NASA to become part of a team to assist with their missions in space. It's a very small club, but Lisa Nowak made it in. Part 1. Lost in Space There's little doubt that Lisa was competent enough to become an astronaut. According to an archived bio from NASA's website, in 1985, Lisa had received a Bachelor's of Science degree in aerospace engineering from the U.S. Naval Academy. Seven years later, Lisa would complete a Master of Science degree in aeronautical engineering, and had also earned a degree of aeronautical and astronautical engineer from the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School. In addition to her impressive educational pedigree, Lisa had amassed more than 1,500 flight hours, more than 30 different aircraft since earning her wings as a naval flight officer in June of 1987. NASA selected her to join the crew for the STS-121 space shuttle mission to the International Space Station in 2006. Just three years prior, tragedy had struck. The space shuttle Columbia set out on a 16-day mission to Earth's orbit in order to conduct a series of experiments concerning microgravity. The expedition began as a success. It wasn't until the crew of seven attempted to return to Earth that there were any signs of serious danger. A piece of foam that had broken off during launch caused a significant damage to the shuttle's left wing. The damage was severely underestimated. It was believed that the crew would be able to make a safe return. As the shuttle hurled back through the Earth's atmosphere, the left wing began to fall apart causing the shuttle to lose control. Cabin cameras were able to capture the crew's final minutes alive, even as they plummeted to their deaths. Perhaps unaware of their fate, the crew appeared eerily upbeat and calm. The shuttle dismantled and all seven members of the crew perished. The debris field stretched from Texas to Louisiana, with some witnesses claiming to have spotted bones and body parts of the ill-fated crew interspersed with the wreckage. In response to the disaster, all scheduled missions were postponed for 29 months till a thorough investigation report had been completed. On the report's completion in 2006, two test flights were scheduled to deliver supplies to the International Space Station and to test out new repair techniques suggested in the official report. Lisa would be aboard the second of these missions. After several weather delays, the shuttle launched without a hitch Lisa would serve as the mission flight engineer, and while docked on the space station, would be in charge of manning a robotic arm used to perform maintenance outside of the craft during scheduled spacewalks. Lisa would walk 13 hours in space during the trip, 
before safely returning to Earth on July 17, 2006. In space, Lisa had an important duty, and that duty was being broadcasted to nations around the planet. Even the smallest mistake was liable to set research back months, or potentially cost the crew their lives. That kind of pressure on a world stage can be intimidating to overcome. During her in-orbit interviews, however, Lisa appeared calm and confident in her work, even as her life back on Earth was beginning to get messy. Lisa was married with three children, but she had been hiding a secret. Lisa began experiencing marital troubles and turned to colleague and fellow astronaut William Bill Offline for support. Lisa and Bill had met in 1996, but grew close during three years of training together. Their friendship would eventually begin to grow beyond a working relationship. Bill, who had also been experiencing problems in his own marriage, found comfort in Lisa, and the two had begun having an affair in 2004. After a year of carrying on their relationship in secret, Bill decided to divorce his wife. In one email sent to Bill's mother, Lisa implied she was also making plans to leave her husband. Bill is absolutely the best person I've ever known, and I love him more than I ever knew possible. Fortunately, that past situation is finally coming to an end, and I am in the process of completing all the official divorce paperwork, Lisa wrote. The affair would carry on throughout 2006, but by the end of that year, things had begun to change in the relationship. Lisa suspected Bill had met another woman, it's unclear how forthcoming Bill had been about the situation, but those suspicions would turn out to be correct. Lisa was able to access Bill's personal emails and discovered a series of steamy exchanges between Bill and a woman named Colleen Shipman. Bill had met Air Force Captain Colleen Shipman in November of 2006. During a training exercise at Kennedy Space Center, Colleen worked at nearby Patrick Air Force Base, and the two began to grow closer. By December, things were heating up between Bill and Colleen. In an email sent to Bill while he served as captain aboard the space shuttle Discovery, Colleen wrote in regards to Bill's return to Earth, First urge will be to rip your clothes off. But honestly, love, I want you to totally and thoroughly enjoy your hero's homecoming. After visiting Bill's apartment, Shipman had some suspicions that Bill had not made a clean break from his previous relationship. Bill continued to allow Lisa to store her bike at his apartment, and Colleen recalled one occasion where he called her Lisa while in bed. Bill insisted that the relationship between him and Lisa was through, though they both remained friends and colleagues. By 2007, Bill had called it quits with Lisa for good and devoted himself to Colleen, while Bill insisted that he and Lisa maintain a good rapport. Lisa was furious about the breakup. Part 2. The Diaper Astronaut With all of their testing, mental health evaluations for astronauts were not a high priority on NASA's list. Mental health evaluations were typically only performed during the initial training period. Once an astronaut passed all the testing and training, they were subjected to job performance reviews. Prior to the public downfall of Lisa Nowak, there were several clues that NASA and other space agencies did not take the mental health of astronauts seriously, or put much consideration into how stress in their personal lives could impact how astronauts perform their job duties while in space. 
1976, a Soviet mission had to end early after an incident of mass hysteria broke out among the crew. All of the crew members complained of an offensive odor while aboard the shuttle. The source of the odor was never found. In another bizarre incident, a Chinese payload specialist aboard the Challenger space shuttle in the 1980s became distressed when he suspected that the experiments he had been conducting had failed. A member of the crew, Harry Hartsfield Jr., later recalled, We had one payload specialist that became obsessed with the hatch. You mean all I got to do is turn that handle and the hatch opens and all the air goes out? It was kind of scary, so we began to lock that hatch. By February of 2007, Lisa's mental health began to take a toll, spiraling into a deep depression. Lisa had lost more than 15% of her body weight. Her marriage was through. She and Bill had parted ways. With little support network to rely on, Lisa's troubled mind began to fixate on Colleen. For weeks, Lisa would plot out her attack, carefully researching ways to dismember a body, how to leave as little evidence as possible, how she should carry out the attack. Lisa had detailed maps leading to the Orlando International Airport, as well as Colleen's home, and knew her every move, packing with her $600 in cash, 80 in euros, printouts of emails taken from Bill's private account, pepper spray, rubber tubing, a four-inch buck knife, a BB gun, a steel mallet, and bondage photos. Lisa climbed into her car, prepared to drive 900 miles to confront Colleen. Wearing adult diapers to avoid bathroom breaks, Lisa was a woman scorned. She wasn't about to take this betrayal lightly. Lisa was able to obtain a copy of Colleen's flight itinerary, which was among the email exchanges Lisa was able to pilfer from Bill's inbox. Driving from Houston, Texas to Orlando, Florida was no small feat, but Lisa took off out of Houston like a bat out of hell, desperate, betrayed, in a mindset on revenge. What thoughts ran through her head during that long drive? Did she have second thoughts about the plan? Did she believe accosting Colleen would win Bill back? Or was confronting Colleen a means for her own sense of satisfaction? In the end, it didn't matter. None of it mattered. Donning a disguise 14 hours later, Lisa found herself standing in the Orlando International Airport, waiting for Colleen's flight to land. Lisa continued to linger around the airport, stalking Colleen from a distance before finally both women boarded a bus. As Colleen exited at her stop, Lisa followed her to the parking lot. Lisa claimed to police that she only wanted to talk, but her actions and the arsenal inside of her luggage suggested her intentions were far more sinister. As Colleen made her way into the shadowy parking lot, Lisa stood waiting. With pepper spray in hand, Lisa pounded on the window of Colleen's car, convincing Colleen that she desperately needed help. Colleen reluctantly rolled down her window. Their car window open, Colleen was met with a blinding cloud of the spray. I knew in my heart when Lisa Nowak attacked me that she was going to kill me. It was in her eyes, a blood-chilling expression of limitless rage and glee. It's my understanding that Lisa Nowak had researched murder, corpse dismemberment, as well as disguises and trace evidence. 
and I am 100% certain that Lisa Nowak came here to murder me, and I believe that she never thought she'd get caught. She began preparing for her crimes weeks before she committed them. She thoroughly researched my personal information. She entered my boyfriend's apartment, and without his permission or knowledge, she stole my contact information, my travel itinerary, and several personal emails between myself and my boyfriend. She also collected my address, the latitude and longitude coordinates of my house, directions to my house, my cell phone number, and my email address. She gathered weapons and torture devices, which in her own words were too scary to even think about, but apparently not scary enough to prevent her from bringing them along during her attack on me. Lisa Noack's claim that she only wanted to talk to me is at best ridiculous. I believe it is one of many lies that she designed to deceive and gain sympathy from this court, NASA, the U.S. Navy, her friends, her family, and the American people. Please don't be fooled. I was fooled. Lisa Noack is a very good actress. On February 5th, 2007, Lisa Noack had ample opportunity to talk to me. She stealthily followed me inside the Orlando International Airport for hours. I'm a very friendly person, Your Honor, who at that time would have welcomed her company over some hot chocolate while I was waiting for my suitcase to arrive. When I rode the bus to the scene of the crime with her, I actually made an effort to strike up some small talk by smiling at her and nodding my head in her direction, but she ignored me. When she got off the bus at my stop, then lingered there with her duffel bag full of torture devices, my intuition was screaming at me that I was in danger. I ignored it, and I bid the bus driver good night. When Lisa Nowak began following me through the parking lot, I noticed that she still had her duffel bag with her. She was close enough, and it was quiet enough for me to hear the swishing of her pants, and I never heard her drop that bag. I had to sprint to my car to escape her. Had I been but a fraction of a second slower in locking my car, this court, I have no doubt, would instead be hearing a first-degree murder trial. In that moment, I believed that she was going to kill me to steal my suitcase or my car. She tried to force the handle open to open my car door, and she beat on my window. I was sitting in my driver's seat and shaking with fear. I yelled at her while I fumbled with my keys. And that's when I was fooled. She turned on her charm and spun a pitiful story, imploring me for help. She looked genuine, and she looked sane, and it was a night and day difference from the expression she gave in her mugshot. As scared as I was, and as sure as I was that just moments ago, this woman at my window was going to kill me, I was still deceived by her. As I said, she is a very good actress. She pretended to be a helpless traveler. She told me that she was stranded and afraid to be alone in a dark parking lot. She played on my sympathies. She convinced me that her intentions were innocent. She took advantage of my goodwill, and as soon as I cracked my window to help her, she struck. She blasted me with what felt like acid. It burned my eyes, my nose, and my mouth, and it sucked the air out of me. I don't know what other weapons she had at the ready, because I didn't hang around to find out. I stomped on the gas, and I wondered if there was a gun pointed at my head. My eyes and throat were on fire. My lungs ached for air. I fought the urge to breathe in whatever poison it was that she had sprayed me with. I thought I had just escaped a carjacking, and I was sure that she had just tried to kill me to steal my car. I had no idea that a high-ranking, high-paid military officer had just attacked me. Lisa attempted to grab Colleen, but Colleen continued to struggle. Able to start her car, Colleen narrowly escaped the attack before alerting police about the altercation. Police were able to apprehend Lisa without a struggle. 
After an officer witnessed her attempt to dispose of the weapons, she had brought with her. Once taken into police custody, she led police to her car, where more evidence of her plan began to unfold. While being held for questioning, Lisa told police that she had brought the weapons because she wanted to intimidate Colleen and force her to speak with her about her troubled love life. In the months to follow, Lisa's fall from grace would be a public one, nicknamed the diaper astronaut by the media. The accomplished NASA engineer watched as her glory days flashed before her eyes. Her life in shambles, her dreams dashed, and her name forever tarnished. The once honorable and smiling young woman in the spacesuit seen in photos that flashed on the television set was left a shell of her former self. Part 3. Crash Landing Police Detective William Beckton recalls Lisa's interview with police to be evasive and calculated. I felt like I was playing a game of chess, Beckton would later testify before a judge. Large portions where I'm actually being interviewed, by where she was very calculating and methodical in the manner she would answer questions. There were parts of the interview she would actually use information that she had as a bargaining chip. Even after her arrest and the serious charges she had been facing for accosting Colleen, Lisa continued to try to get Bill's attention. During a preliminary hearing, Lisa had been ordered by a judge to have no contact with either Bill or Colleen. Lisa ignored this order and instead sent Bill a book containing small post-it notes with suggestive messages on them. She also began to use the media to continue to attack Colleen's name. Lisa was charged with attempted battery, kidnapping, and burglary with assault. Just as she was about to post the $15,000 bail, Lisa received a word that her charges were being changed to attempted first-degree murder and increasing her bail to $25,000. This charge would later be dropped and reverted back to the original charges after her defense, convinced the judge that investigating officers had taken advantage of Lisa's deteriorated mental state at the time of her arrest. The judge ordered that all of the evidence collected from Lisa's car on the day of her arrest would not be presented during the trial, nor any of the information obtained by police during her interview. Even with the first-degree murder charge dropped, Lisa still faced life in prison. Lisa's defense attempted to argue an insanity plea, with evidence to suggest that Lisa had been suffering from more than a dozen mental disorders at the time of the attack. Instead, a plea deal would be struck. Lisa agreed to change her plea to guilty in order to serve a reduced sentence. The judge ordered that Lisa would receive credit for time served, meaning she would only have to serve two days in jail and serve a year of probation. On the day of her sentencing, Lisa turned to Colleen and offered an apology before the court. I'm glad to have this opportunity to apologize to Ms. Shipman in person. Why don't you turn and face Ms. Shipman when you do this? I'm glad to have the opportunity to apologize to you, Ms. Shipman, in person. I am sincerely sorry for causing fear and misunderstanding and all of the intense public exposure that you have suffered. Um, I hope very much that we can all move forward from this um, with privacy and peace. 
While Lisa's trial may have been over, she still had to face prosecution by the U.S. Navy. Board of three Navy admirals were assembled to oversee the case. The evidence discovered in Lisa's car at the time of her arrest by Orlando police weighed heavily in their decision. All three admirals unanimously determined that Lisa Nowak would receive a less than honorable discharge. Additionally, her rank from captain was downgraded to commander, significantly impacting her military pension. While things seem grim for Lisa Nowak, her victim, Colleen Shipman, continues to live with the trauma of the attack. Each shadow, each unexpected noise taking her back to that day where she feared losing her life. Lisa and Bill were both removed from service with NASA immediately after news of the attack broke. Bill would instead be reassigned with the U.S. Navy, officially retiring from service completely in 2008. Lisa's plan may have been to come between Bill and Colleen, but the attack forced the couple to grow even closer. 2009, Bill and Colleen tied the knot. They now live with their young son in Alaska, where they channel their trauma into their writing. Penning her first book, Eerie, under the nom de plume, C.M. McCoy, Colleen had left chemical engineering behind to focus on her passion for writing and working as a literary agent. After a highly publicized trial for attempting to kidnap and allegedly murder Colleen, Lisa Nowak retreated back to her home in Texas, has taken great strides to stay off the public radar. According to her lawyer, Lisa continues to work in the private sector and is doing well. In response to the case, NASA would be forced to reevaluate how they handled psychological evaluations in the program. An official written statement from NASA's Deputy Administrator, Shanna Dale, released after Lisa's arrest. Listener, the case of Lisa Nowak stands as a reminder for us that no one, not even someone as accomplished as Lisa was, is infallible to mental illness. When we're tasked with an important job, sometimes we fall even harder. Sometimes even our heroes need a hand up. It does not diminish the impact or the suffering caused by our actions but instead brings to light how important it is for the military and other government agencies to monitor the mental health of their recruits and provide adequate assistance for those who are struggling. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. 
Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.